Pasadena with American Outdoor News. And today we're going to get a little bit off topic. Uh, we're not going to be talking out hunting and outdoors. We're going to be talking about something that uh, every parent and every American should be interested in. We're going to be talking about uh, human trafficking, child trafficking. In uh, today's guest has uh, been involved in breaking up those child trafficking rings for years in the most unlikely places. We please welcome uh, Mr. Paul Hutchinson. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you having me on your your show and sharing uh, some of these delicate topics. I promise that we won't go so dark that people have to turn off. There's a lot of light and uh, beauty and the rescue and rehabilitation and reuniting of these children with their families. And um, this is this has been my passion for the last 10 years. I've led 70. I've been involved with or led over 70 undercover rescue missions in 15 countries. Uh, worked with a number of different foundations in doing so. Uh, a movie coming out later this year, um, the, one of the largest child rescue missions ever, 127 children in Colombia. We'll go into details on that one as well. Um, but it's, a, it's, it's something that all of us need to be aware of and something that we can, we can together, we can fight and win this war. Now, let's, let's start with your background. Uh, how, what in your background brought you into something like this? I mean, this is not something you wake up one day and say, I want to get into breaking up these uh, trafficking rings. Absolutely. I, I, well, I, from what I understand, you have a, a particular set of skills that you've accumulated over a long career. Uh, that I have, that I have. I've, I've been drawn for many, 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 many years to uh, studying hand-to-hand -hand combat and, and getting very good with, with weapons. Um, I didn't end up joining the military, but I had this strong feeling for many years that that would be an important part of my life. And I didn't know if it was because the apocalypse was going to come before I got old or uh, you know, whether I got called into a war or whatever, but I, I knew that I would be able to sleep better at night if I could handle any situation that came up with, uh, with my bare hands, with weapons, et cetera. Um, and when you get to that place of, of inner confidence, uh, it gives you peace. You don't have to, you know, be all out there and angry. You can, you can live from a place of true peace. In fact, most of my trainers are some of the most calmest men and women that you've ever known. Uh, they would walk in the room and you wouldn't know that they had the ability to take out the whole room if necessary. And, and uh, it, it comes from that calm place inside from doing that training. Um, background on me, I, I, um, I've always been involved in charity organizations, uh, specifically in relating to children. When I was, when I was a child, 10 years old, I I wanted to be a pediatric cardiologist. I figured, you know, I could be a heart surgeon, but a heart surgeon on children. And I had this passion for, you know, helping kids, even when I was young. And fast forward, I ended up serving on a number of different uh, board of directors uh, for different charities and, um, and was on the Make-A-Wish board of directors for seven years, incoming oh, chairman wow. of Make-A-Wish uh, in the Western US here in Utah, uh, when I got a call. I got this call from our attorney general, Sean Reyes. And uh, Sean wanted to introduce me to somebody who had worked with Homeland Security. Um, he was trying to start a foundation. He, he had worked in anti-child trafficking. 
and he was in Colombia and had found a bunch of children down there that he wanted to rescue. And he needed $50,000 to make this rescue happen, yet his, his position at the government, they wouldn't fund it because he couldn't prove that there was any Americans involved. He was mad. He was like, you know what? It doesn't matter what country they're from. He said, I believe that there are some Americans involved here. If nothing else, there's Americans that were coming down creating this problem, you yep. know, with kids, whether it was uh, American kids or not that were involved in the trafficking. And so um, uh, myself and others helped in the beginning to to fund that rescue and some others. And he called me a few weeks later and he said, Paul, he said, I'm in Colombia. Uh, there's not just 20 children here. There's more than 50 in Cartagena area and more than 100 children in surrounding cities uh, that he believed were tied to the same ring. And he said, we have a plan that we could rescue all of these children on the same day at the same time. Wow. He said, I can use your help if, if you're interested. And I said, well, how much do you need? He said, I need you. Could you be in Colombia in two days? Now, he knew more about my background than most people from a, from a uh, security standpoint. But the reason why I was chosen to come down was not just that. It was the fact that I was uh, co-founder of a, of a multi-billion dollar real estate investment fund. And I had that knowledge of being able to negotiate in that level. And, um, and he, the head trafficker down there had a piece of property, had an island that he had, had inherited from his mom. He wanted to develop it into a child brothel sex resort, similar to what Jeffrey Epstein uh, was wow. doing. And, um, and he needed $8 million to build out this this resort for you know horrible things and uh so what what the homeland security what their plan was some of these operators is if i would come down and sit with these guys in columbia and say listen i'm willing to take a look at your project i'm willing to fund it under one condition we're gonna have a party in a couple weeks i'm bringing down a bunch of my rich buddies they're into kids and uh, you pull together a group of all the kids that you have access to, you know, all the ones that you're controlling and your buddies are controlling right now, bring them all together. And, and uh, if, I'm, if I'm impressed, then I'll go ahead and fund your deal. And I'm sitting in this meeting with these guys and there's, there's four traffickers, there's three female, I mean, three males, one female. This female was Miss, she was a beauty queen, like Miss Cartagena. And this, this story I'm telling you is coming out in a movie this year. It's called The Sound of Freedom. Jim Caviezel, he plays Jesus, Passion to Christ, Count of Monte Cristo. He, he plays the part of, of the Homeland Security agent, Tim. The, the actor who plays me is Eduardo Verastegui. He's one of the more famous actors in Mexico. Um, he doesn't, because we filmed it while I was still doing Undercover, he doesn't play Paul Hutchinson. He plays Pablo Delgado, the billion-dollar fund manager who goes undercover and helps rescue kids and, and whatnot. And so back to the story, um, I, I'm down there, I'm sitting across this table, there's, there's a former CIA and former undercover, you know, FBI guys, et cetera, that were down there um, that were part of this sting. And one of the traffickers leans forward and he goes, Pablo, I have a gift for you. I said, really, what's your gift? And he shows me his phone and there's a picture of a little 11 year old girl on his phone. Wow. He said, he said, this is princess. She's still a virgin. 
we, we just took delivery of some. She's my gift for your party and, and started talking about some really bad things that you could do to this little girl. And my, my, one of my security guys was a Navy SEAL was standing right behind me. His name was Dutch. And he was like, he, he, he had to, he had to walk around the, the restaurant. He said, I'm going to go check out some other things at the restaurant. Later, he said, you know, I was so mad that little girl looked like my daughter at home. He said, I almost unholstered my weapon and took care of the situation right there, but we would have lost all those kids. He said, so super, and and something these guys said made me realize he had more than just her. I said, you have, you took delivery? You you have more virgins? They go, yeah, I got three or four more. I said, you have to bring those to the party as well. He said, oh, no, they're too expensive. Too expensive. They're already paying $25,000 for this party. We're paying $500 per child for a minimum of 50 children just for two hours in the afternoon. And he goes, Hefe, you already paid 25,000. You want to F a virgin's going to cost you extra 5,000, maybe 10,000 for that little one. And I was so mad. He's talking about these children like they're commodities. Yep. And I'm like, you think I can afford an extra $10,000? Anyway, two weeks later, we fly back in. We meet with the U.S. Embassy, Colombian federal agents. Um, they provided 40 agents for us. Four of them were our maids, four of them were our waiters, four of them were our cooks. You know, they're not very good cooks, but they're armed. <laughs> 25 of them are there to storm the party at the right time. And and they uh, uh, they brought to Cartagena, they brought 54 children. Almost every one of them were under the age of 16 years old. Most of them were, were kidnapped. From other, a lot of them were kidnapped from other countries. A lot of them were, were from that area. And... Uh, this this beauty queen had this fake modeling agency that she was going around to towns in the area and telling the parents, oh, your daughter's too pretty to be working the fields. She should be a model. And they would bring her out for a photo shoot, and boom, they would disappear. Uh, horrible, horrible story. And so the most beautiful moment of my life was after the agents came, stormed the party, arrested everybody, 30 Child Protective Services people come in with the children. And they started laughing. They started singing with the children. And that sound of freedom with the children singing compared to the crying that we heard half an hour before, that was the most beautiful sound that I ever heard. I started crying. That's why we named the movie The Sound of Freedom. And um, I, I turned to the, uh, the attorney general. I said, bro, I said, I've, been, I've spent my whole life making rich people richer. I said, I want to make a difference. Uh, you know, I want to write a check. What do you need? And he said, Paul, he said that unfortunately, the majority of demand for this horrible act in second and third world countries comes from wealthy businessmen in first world countries. He said, I can't teach my Navy SEALs how to wear a $50,000 watch and a $4,000 suit and then negotiate a multi-million dollar deal. He said, and I haven't found a successful business owner who's had the training that you've had. He said, if you're willing to be the bait, I'll change your whole life. And, uh, you know, I had a, a couple of my undercover operators that you know, one that had traveled around the entire world hunting animals everywhere. And he said, Paul, there's nothing I would like more than to than to hunt bad guys, so to speak. And uh, so he led a, a couple undercover missions with us as well. Um, but every single time I've done these undercover works, there's um, every one of these kids has a story, just like that little one that was, you know, brought in for a modeling type thing. So um and it's, it, the problem is, and people ask, why are you going public? And the answer is simple. Ten years ago, when I sat in front of that little 11-year-old and she was tear stains in her makeup face and she was scared to death, I made a decision that day 
that I would do everything in my power to eradicate this problem. I would I'd put money into it. I'd raise money for it. I would do the undercover, whatever I needed to do to, to fix this problem. And through our foundation, others that we have helped get started, uh, others that we have helped fund, over 5,000 kidnapped and trafficked children have been rescued uh, by these different organizations over the last five, uh, over the last 10 years. And the problem is, is, the, is that there is more children being sold today than there was 10 years ago. So I have to ask myself, are we making a difference? And the answer is yes, we're making a difference with those children that we pulled out. But if we haven't fixed the demand, if we haven't figured out how to fix the generational trauma that's creating the, the, the demand in the first place, then we're just creating a vacuum and more, more children are going to be sucked into the recesses of hell. There's no consequences. There's yeah. a, we're in a lawless society where they can do what they want and they're out on the street the next day. If there's yeah. consequences to their actions, you, you're going to see change. Yeah. Now, yeah. Take, taking a step back, you um, you rescue these children. What do you do with them? Are they reunited with their family? Are they relocated to uh, a safe environment? Are they put with foster families? What What happens to them? If um, if the parents reported them abducted, then the parents get them back. It's easy to find them. If they didn't, sometimes the parents were involved. You know, in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, more than half of the children that uh, we helped rescue in, in Thailand were, were sold by their own families. And if that's the case, you can't put them back in a home where they're going to get sold again. Now, that's a whole other discussion of why a mother would sell her child. Uh, you know, abject poverty and, you know, needing to be able to feed the other four children. It's a, it's a sad situation there. And she's hoping that maybe, you know, some wealthy American will fall in love with her in a brothel or whatever, and she'll have a better life. Very, very sad situation. So, you know, if, if, uh, if they were involved at all, of course, they don't get them back. We, we, uh, we, before we would go into country, we would make sure that we had relationships with aftercare. With, uh, with foundations, NGOs that were in country that already were, were helping children that were coming off the streets, et cetera. We would put money in to those organizations to help to fund them and uh, make sure they had enough beds before we would even go in and do the sting because we need to make sure we can't pull them out of hell and put them into another hell. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we can identify some healthy families. There are families everywhere that are willing to to sacrifice the next 10 to 40 years of their life with a challenged child. They just don't have the money to pay for the adoptions and uh, getting people into a good place. And so um, through our foundation, the Child Liberation Foundation, we have identified other foundations that are providing um, uh, adoption services, providing um, uh, safe houses, things like that for the aftercare with the children. That's where the majority of the cost comes in when you've rescued some of these kids is taking care of them after you've pulled them out of hell. Well, there's a lot of uh, good families that are looking to adopt. Uh, and I know that whole route of adoption is uh, filled with red tape. Yeah. You get around that. So difficult, especially when we're coming in from other countries. We, uh, there was, there were a few families that wanted to adopt a bunch of the children that we uh, have brought in from Haiti. 
In fact, uh, even uh, that Homeland Security agent I told you about in the beginning, their family wanted to adopt two of the kids that uh, had been rescued uh, by, by the organization back two years before he was able to get them. They actually decided this is the kids we want, started filling out. It was two years later before they were able to actually take the kids home. There was so much red tape wow. and so much money going into so many pockets where there was a loving home waiting for these kids. So, you know, I can understand some of the red tape to make sure that kids don't end up back into homes that would traffic them and in, in any other hurt them in any other ways, but there needs to be a better system. Well, this, you know, you got to be able to uh, vet the families that are going to be adopting them, uh, but there has to be a way to expedite it. Yeah, yeah. Without all the extra red tape money going into people's pockets everywhere and taking years to do so. Hmm. So, uh, how do you go from being a venture capitalist? <laughs> into doing this is this you're doing it full-time now or yeah yeah we're as the opportunities arise well for the last 10 years i've uh, been involved with or led uh, 70 undercover rescue missions that's about um it's an average of seven a year that's about one every two months or so wow. in uh, wow. in the, the number of, of missions that i went on I still, over that time, I retired completely from Bridge Investment Group, the company that I co-founded, retired completely in 2017 to do focus on, on charity work. And uh, we did a lot of, lot of missions since then. Um, but my focus turned to a lot of trauma healing. I realized that um, um, there were a lot, of, a lot of these kids just had a really hard time readjusting to real life. And in every rescue that we did, there were some older ones, some, you know, girls and even guys that were over 20 years old that were being trafficked that we uh, helped rescue as well. And some of those even have a harder time readjusting to uh, real life. So that's been our primary focus over the last, uh, the last five, six years has been on trauma and healing. And, and our full-time focus now is... The foundation itself is still funding other undercover, but I did my first public podcast just like this with you uh, about three weeks ago. Um, the uh, the interviewer only had about uh, two thousand followers on his his um, YouTube, but it's been shared over sixty thousand times in three weeks, and so people are really um, feeling this need to to understand what this challenge is and how we as a society can fix it. And so, you know, the transition now, my full-time focus is not doing under res more rescue missions. My full-time focus now is I've understood that my role is not just to rescue a 10-year-old out of the clutches of a trafficker in Honduras. My role is to rescue the 10-year-old inside of every 30, 40, 50-year-old man or woman who has dealt with childhood trauma that was unresolved. I've come to an understanding that one child being sold is unacceptable. Eight million is beyond comprehension, but eight million children being sold is a small number compared to the problem. I believe the problem is this. There is over 200 million men in this world. 
who were raped under the age of 10 years old in their own homes, from neighbors, from a familiar, whatever, 92% of them. And there's 800 million men who've experienced, who have been a victim of, of uh, sexual violence in some form in their life. That number is double with women. Almost 40% of all women have experienced sexual violence and and a billion women, a fourth of all women, experience that as children. So you've got, well, almost two billion people in this world who have experienced that degree of trauma as a child in some way or form. And, and it goes two different ways. One, one thing that happens, a lot of people just hold it inside and it comes out in you know really low self-esteem or, or lack of belief in yourself and a lot of really energetic challenges. Others, it goes outward in negative behaviors such as verbal abuse, physical abuse, even sexual abuse. And this is where we end up with generational trauma, where I believe if I can focus my time and, and the fact that I've been into the pit of hell, and if I can focus what I've learned from there in helping people shed their trauma, grow into this place of light, and, and fix the direction in their life before they become contact offenders, then we can save millions of children, not just the ones being sold, but the ones in our own homes by, by, by curbing this demand and changing how people think about each other, about themselves, about their past, about their future. I don't think people realize the, the enormity of the situation, of, of just how many people's lives this, uh, this has touched. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, I would dare say, Chris, that this affects everybody in some way. I mean, even if you didn't, if you were blessed to not have uh, experienced physical, verbal, or sexual abuse as a child, even if you didn't experience those, that chances are that one of your parents, if they, if they had a hard time expressing love or whatever else and really connecting with the kids, there was probably some trauma a couple generations back that, that filtered through and created some situations that you had as a kid. Or, you know, you've known somebody or dated somebody or whatever else that had that kind of trauma. I believe this affects everybody in some shape or form. And this is something we can all get behind. You know, some people get behind saving the trees. Some people get behind, you know, free rights of guns, whatever. This is something that everybody of all religions, right, left, everybody can get behind in in uh, saving children from something this horrible. I agree. I agree. Now, didn't um, the, the past administration, didn't the Trump administration have a task force? Oh, yeah. Uh, break up I, trafficking I, rings? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. There, In fact... He did more to fight child trafficking than any president in history, and uh, there was there was a lot of focus on that very thing. In fact, um, our attorney general that brought me into this and the and the homeland security agent uh, that I told you about in the beginning, both of them have spent a bunch of time in the White House over over that tenure in helping to arrange a lot of that stuff, change the laws. So some some beautiful breakthroughs happened um, because the right people were in leadership. That, that had the right thought. And, you know, the, the wall, the border wall should not be a political issue. It really shouldn't. It's not a right issue. It's not a left issue. It should be a human trafficking issue. If, uh, if, you, if people understood the number of children that are being trafficked across that porous border, they would, they would be sick to their stomachs and they would do anything in their power to secure that in a way where you don't end up having the trafficking come in. It's unfortunate, but the majority of demand 
for this horrible act comes from U.S. citizens. Number one um, creator and, and consumer of child pornography comes from the U.S. And so we need to fix our people. We need to fix our border. We need to fix the way that we raise our children. We need to fix this problem. We need to make sure that there are consequences all the way across the board. When I very first started this work, one of the challenges we had is that if somebody went to Colombia or Thailand or wherever and, and, and had sex with a 12-year-old, they have to be prosecuted in that country under that country's laws. And if those laws were weak in any way, then people were getting away with it. So one of the things that our, um, that Sean Reyes and, and Tim and some others worked on was they went in and helped to change the laws so that if you, before we would have to, we would have to prove that they made the decision while in the U.S. to go abroad and do these horrible things. Now, we don't have to prove that anymore. If you go to Thailand and you, you have sex with a 12-year-old in, in Thailand, even if you're not prosecuted there, you can be prosecuted in the U.S. for that crime, which is very unique. Very few crimes can you do in another country and get prosecuted here. How can they prove that? Well, we have a lot of tools. You know, we've, we've uh, through our undercover operations, many times when, when somebody, uh, when we take down a trafficker, we'll give them life in prison. But then we'll allow them to plea down to 25 years in prison in exchange for them giving us the, the names and contact information of all the U.S. Johns that have been down there that they've been in contact with. And, um, you know, those guys, 25 years in prison after being a, selling kids, you're, they're going to get taken care of. I'm telling you what. Here in America, um, you know, unfortunately, I'm saying unfortunately, unfortunately, they separate the pedophiles from the you know bank robbers and the murderers and whatever else to protect them in the in uh, in a lot of these other countries they don't they throw them all in there's a there's a hierarchy where i've i've been in conversation with a drug lord who he said paul he said you may not agree with how i do business he said but i've got children of my own and those guys are evil and i'm gonna kill them and if i do you've got 50 little kids and you don't know where they are or I tell you everything I know, you guys go in, you pull those kids out, get them back to their families, make sure he goes to jail, and I'll take care of it from there. So, you know, that's 25 years in prison is plenty. Those guys will get get what's handed to them big time. Uh, but uh, we're able to then get that information and go after the U.S. Johns and then have, uh, uh, through the foundations that we've helped start and helped to fund and ours, uh, over 700 uh, U.S. Um, pedophiles have been arrested uh, wow. through some intel that's come in from those. So, And you know what? In the whole scheme of things, that don't sound like a lot of people. It's really not. In fact, here's a scary number, Chris. Um, another sister organization had a piece of software that, um, that went onto the dark web. Most people think that they're anonymous on the dark web. No, nobody can see me. You know, I'm just going direct computer to computer. I'm not going through search engines or whatever else. This piece of software goes into the, the dark web and, and identifies everybody that is downloading a child, you know, child porn, child rape video, stuff like this. And in, this is a scary number. In one month, just in the U.S. alone, we identified 800,000 unique individuals who had downloaded a child rape video. So, 800,000. Yes, 800,000. So, those people could be 
prosecuted for possessing. Yeah, absolutely. They can go to jail for a long, long time. So I'm, yeah, every one of them can go to jail for years for every single one that's on there. And here's the thing. This is the reason that's so important is that there's a chain. And this is why I'm coming out to this point where if I can help people heal way back here on the chain, you know, heal from their childhood trauma before they start getting addicted to pornography, before that addiction to pornography ends up needing something younger and younger to have that same fix. And that younger and younger, pretty soon they're fantasizing about something they wouldn't have thought was attractive five years ago. And then they're acting out on these horrific fantasies. Each one of them is a link in the chain. The logo for the Child Liberation Foundation is a barcode, the international symbol of somebody, something being sold. And then the middle bar of the barcode is a broken chain. And that's really what it's about. In fact, the original foundation we worked with, they had a broken chain as part of theirs. A lot of the child rescue organizations have that because that's the key. How can we break this chain as early as possible in this whole process? So as an outsider, how does one get involved? How does one help? I believe that spreading awareness is important. We've worked with a lot of big corporations that are now in airports and others that have advertisements out that are helping people be aware of child trafficking. And for a long time, the best thing that somebody could do was to donate to the organization because we couldn't really take you undercover to go rescue kids and whatnot. And that would help with the aftercare, et cetera. Now that we've realized that we can break this chain even earlier before the kids are even trafficked the first time, you give me an hour on a microphone and you say, Paul, you've got a room full of traffickers and pedophiles, right? You've got 100 traffickers, you've got 100 pedophiles in this room. I guarantee that would be – and you say, Paul, you have an option. You can either have a gun for the next hour with no retribution, take them all out. That might make you feel good for a minute, or you can have a microphone. I would take that microphone, and that would be the most transformational 60 minutes of their life. I would take them into the pit of hell. I would show them the depravity of what I have seen firsthand of the lives they're destroying. I would pull them out of that pit, and I would say, okay, let's talk about roads to healing. Now, they still need to go to jail so they can have plenty of time where they're never going to hurt another child again. But I believe that there are pathways to help people heal. And so if a way somebody could help, if they've got other – share this podcast. Let's get the word out and get me in touch with other big thought leaders, podcast guys that are in the space of potentially healing or people that just want a different way to lead their life with the spirit of peace and love, et cetera. I have some systems that will be coming out soon. I have a book that's coming out soon called Are You Listening? Not Are You Listening Here, but Are You Listening Here, right? Hand on my heart. Because every single one of us are born with that intuition, that light of truth, every single one of us. And I talk about in that book how every one of the undercover rescue missions, I wasn't following logic and protocol. 
I was listening and was able to find these kids. And those same tools that I used to find the kids are tools that people can use to help lead their life in a way that they're not going to go down these dark roads. That's going to lead them to true happiness and, and fulfillment and prosperity in their life as well. I talk about how building successful companies came from those same principles of living with integrity and, and leading from the heart, um, et cetera. So um, when the book comes out, I think it'll transform a lot of lives. Uh, more podcasts are coming out. Um, anytime that I can share with people some of these stories, um, there's light at the end of the tunnel with every one of these regular rescue missions. And uh, But if we can rescue the children before they were ever hurt in the first place, that's my lifetime goal moving forward. Well, we're going to have to have you back on when the book and the movie come out. Uh, and, you know, there's going to be a lot more to talk about at that point. But uh, I, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to us today and spread the word and and for the valuable work that you do as a parent. Um, any parent uh, would find this uh, is incredibly valuable information. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me on your show. Well, we thank you again. And uh, where can we find you? Um, right now, you can uh, you can find me on social media, just Paul Hutchinson Official. If you don't want to type out Paul Hutchinson Official, you can type out www.soulhealer007. <laughs> Soulhealer007. <laughs> and, and what about the uh, uh, you have websites for your foundations that people can build? Uh, yeah, the Child Child Liberation Foundation. You can find that at uh, liberatechildren.org or liberateachild.org. And uh, both of those have some information on the foundation itself and uh, ways you can get involved and, and help with this movement of eradicating child trafficking. Well, thank you again for everything that you do. And, uh, you know, it, it's a valuable service. And uh, I, I appreciate you, man. All right. Thank you, Chris. Super grateful for letting me share with your team and uh, your audience. And uh, love to connect again once the book is out. And, uh, and I'll, share, I'll share a bunch of additional stories of the rescue missions on that one as well. That's awesome. Thanks so much. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference.